Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the spirit. In the Greek, the word, the phrase, it is finished, is one word. It's called tetelestai. Tetelestai is how you would say this in the Greek. And, and the word tetelestai in the Greek has three primary uses, okay? And so I just want you to, to, to think about the language and think about how we use words. This one word could be used three different ways. Tetelestai could be used in a business setting. If a debt has been fully paid, okay? So if there's a transaction between the two of us and, and I owe you for a service or whatever the case may be, and I pay that debt, tetelestai, the debt has been fully paid. It would also be used in the courts in case of judgment. If you're found guilty and you have to serve a sentence, and once the sentence is fully served, we would say tetelestai. You have fulfilled what's been given to you based on the time that you were supposed to serve. And then they would use it in competition or battle. The battle has been fully won. I mean like fully won. Like, like we came in here and we stomped a mud hole one. Okay? Like, like tetelestai. It, it's not leave no doubt one. And, and this is the word that Jesus Mentioned, it's the last word, tetelestai. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The sin debt has been fully paid, the time of being in bondage has been served. We are no longer slaves, and the battle against the adversary has been won. It is finished. Today, we have not gathered to remember the sacrifice on the cross, but instead, the miracle of the empty tomb. Right? Like, like there's not a lot of crosses going on here today. We, we've had the cross out before. We've had our family pictures made with the cross. But this year, we're not really celebrating the cross because, you know what? The first church didn't really celebrate the cross. They celebrated the empty tomb. And I know there's a cross right over my shoulder right here. The cross is important. But today we have gathered to celebrate the miracle of the empty tomb. Paul said in Romans, he says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Gracie just reminded us of that very thing. We are buried with Christ in baptism, and we are raised again to new life. And not only is our sin and our fallen self put to death with Jesus and his crucifixion, but our new self, which is being remade in his image, is living within this resurrected life that we have. Jesus was resurrected to give us new life, and because we are followers of him, 
Because we have surrendered our life to him. And we say, you are my Lord and you are my Savior. And we have been obedient just as Gracie just was. We have been resurrected to this new life. And so we focus on the empty tomb. We focus on the resurrection and the enthronement of Jesus. Focus on this new life of being conformed into the image of Jesus through imitating and obeying him as his disciple. Another one of those verses that we throw out this year. 1 John 2, 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus lived his life. If you've not been with us this year, we are, dedicate, we are dedicated to looking at the characteristics of Jesus so that we can live like him. We changed our vision. Our, our goal as a church, our challenge to you today as followers of Jesus is that you live your life to become like Jesus. Everything you do, the struggles you have at work, the struggles you have with whatever going on, the customers that didn't do you right, the, the, the issues that are happening wherever they are, God can work through and use every single one of those to shape you, to mold you, to become like Jesus. In the work of Jesus on the cross, the tetelestai, the it is finished, it brought for you and I peace. And you're like, oh, I don't know about that, Michael. My life's pretty chaotic. Now, I got, I got a lot of stuff going on in my life. But I'm telling you right now, Jesus walking out of that tomb is the is the picture, the completion of I have given you peace. Peace is a big deal to Jesus. Now you read the Old Testament and you're like, you sure about that? I mean, there's a whole lot of violence going on. There's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of not peace taking place in God's economy. And I'm telling you, Jesus rolls on the scene and peace is a big deal. It has always been a big deal to God. Moments before going to the garden to pray. This would have been like on Thursday night. Moments before being arrested. Jesus is with his followers in his room. And you know what he tells them? One of the things he tells them? I give you peace. That the world's going to be full of chaos. But as a follower of mine, I give you peace. I give you peace of mind. I give you peace of heart. And if you think about the word peace, right, in, in the New Testament, it's used a few different ways. All right, because you, you, can, you can hear peace, you can think of it a few different ways. In the New Testament, peace is used as, it's used as a greeting, right? Peace be with you. You think about resurrection, and, and here it is, Jesus is, is coming back, and the, the women have gone to the tomb, and the tomb is empty, and... That's not a very peaceful situation because his body was there. We know his body was there. And now we don't know where his body is. Now, now there's chaos. Now there's, there's some questioning. There's some doubt. What has happened? And then they go throughout the day and now they're hearing rumors. There's an angel that said, hey, don't worry about him. He's risen. He told you he would, he told you he would do this and y'all didn't believe him, but here he is. He did it. And they're like, okay, wait a minute. If he's, if he's risen, where is he? Will we ever see him again? And they're locked in the upper room. They're hiding out. And he just shows up. Word, first words. Peace be with you. 
Yeah, because you just came out of nowhere. You better believe we need some peace. It's used as a greeting. It's a greeting that means blessing. It's a greeting that means favor. So when you read the word peace in the New Testament, that's one way that it is used. The second way that it is used is in the avoidance of conflict. Now we need, we need peace. <clears throat> Hebrews 12 tells us that we should strive or pursue peace with everyone. We should work toward not having conflict with one another out of respect for each other. There's some brothers and sisters and some siblings in here that need to hear that again. We should work toward not having conflict with one another out of respect for each other. The second usage of the word peace is all about avoiding conflict. And there's peace keepers. Now the third way what we're talking about today. The third way is what is what Jesus said. We are to be peacemakers. Right? <coughs> now, we, we talk about this peacekeepers, peacemakers. We'll talk about that in just a second. Let's go back to one of Jesus' first teachings, Sermon on the Mount. He's gathered up his disciples. He, he, he's getting this ministry started. He's drawing a crowd. He goes up onto the mountainside, and he starts to teach. And he starts with this section in Matthew chapter 5 called the blessed R's. Right? We can't spend time today on the breakdown of this, but know that these are not <coughs> nine separate boxes for us to check off. All right, it's not like, okay, did I mourn today? Was I meek today? You know, it, that, that's not what it is. These are qualities of Jesus that we will have when we live a surrendered life to him. If you want to know what Jesus looks like, if you're trying to figure out the characteristics of Jesus, the Beatitudes, the blessed ours, that's a great place to start. You read that list and you're going to say, okay, now I have an idea of who this Jesus is. And if you read through down toward the bottom of the list, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus says this, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Ladies, you're including that. Children of God. Alright, it's not just, not just for the men. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So what's the difference between a peacekeeper and being a peacemaker? A lot of effort, if you want to know it. The difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker is a lot of effort. A, a peacekeeper does what needs to be done to separate and avoid people in conflict. A peacemaker gets to the heart of what is causing the conflict. Does that make sense? All right, let me say it again. A, a peacekeeper does what, is, what needs to be done to separate and avoid people in conflict. But a peacemaker gets to the heart of of what is causing the conflict. As parents, you've been there. I mean, every single one of you parents, you have, you, you've been there. You've come home from work, you're tired, maybe a little agitated, you've had to deal with some people, you've had to deal with some unruly customers or some, some co-workers that got on your nerves or, or something didn't happen right, and you walk into the house and your children are fighting. Right? I mean, it's, 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 you just, you've been there. 
You've walked in and you, you've already had it up to here already. And you're greeted with your children going back and forth. And so as a parent, there's several ways to handle this. One of the ways that you go to your room and you go to your room and you do not talk to each other ever again. And I mean ever. <laughs> ever again. Don't even look at each other. Right? That's a peace people. You, you just came into the situation of conflict and you separated the people causing the conflict. You just brought peace to the situation. Right? Now, that's not a peacemaker. See, peacekeeper, that's pretty easy. I just got to separate the two so that we're now not fighting, that we are avoiding conflict. Now, now the Bible gets into being a peacekeeper and keeping peace, and, and it goes a lot deeper than that illustration right there. But at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. I'm going to keep peace. But Jesus says, I want you to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. A peacemaker gets to the heart of the conflict to restore the relationship. Oh man, brother and sister or sisters or brothers, they're fighting. And instead of separating them and, and, and keeping them separate so that we're keeping peace, hey, let's, let's now dive into why are we fighting? Well, he said this. And in my household, I'm telling you, 90% of the time it has something to do with an iPhone charger. Alright, that, that's that's it. Okay? A peacemaker gets into the heart of the conflict to restore the relationship. You, you two are at odds with one another. Let's not just stop fighting, but let's figure out why. And then here's the deal. The truth of the matter is what usually is at the heart of almost every conflict, it's pride. It's valuing myself, my circumstances, my situation over the other person or whatever else is going on. Most of the time, almost all the time, because all sin is rooted in pride, if there's conflict, it has to do with me valuing myself over the other person. Any situation. Your work situation, your home situation your neighborhood, your sports teams, whatever the case may be, if there's conflict, it has to do with somebody valuing themselves over others. And Jesus says, hey, I don't want you just to be a peacekeeper and avoid conflict. I want you to be a peacemaker. I want you to get to the heart of what is causing the conflict. I want you to restore this conflict. Colossians 1.19 says, for in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Right? Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is on that cross. There's blood coming out of his body. And I'm in this moment. Blood is seeping out of my body so that you will make peace with one another. Jesus, took, Jesus' work on the cross is all about the reconciliation, the peacemaker between a people living in conflict with God and a people living in conflict with one another. Making peace by the blood of his cross. That's why he said what he said. It is finished. My mission 
verse 28, my mission here is completed. I have taken all the sins of the world. I have paid the debt. The battle is won on my blood. And he says to his followers, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you who strive to make peace in splintered, fractured, <coughs> broken relationships. Husbands, wives, siblings, family members, co-workers. It doesn't matter. There's an expectation that on our journey of becoming like Jesus, this is spiritual maturity. I mean, that's kind of the goal. That's what I want. I don't want you just to be the same Christian that gets baptized. There's an expectation on little Gracie right here that not only is she going to grow and in human form and wisdom, but she's going to mature and develop her faith. There's an expectation of that. She's saved regardless. Okay? As long as she doesn't turn her back on God. Salvation is hers. But there's an expectation that comes with this. I want you to become like me. And part of spiritual maturity, church, is that we become peacemakers to reconcile broken or fractured relationships. And it starts with the greatest command. It starts with our relationship with God. We are to be peacemakers to help people who do not have a relationship with God. To first and foremost establish a relationship with God. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, let me tell you. The most important thing you're going to hear today is this right here. God loves you so much that he believed that the best thing to do was to send his son to be a sacrifice for your sins. And if you can believe that, it doesn't matter what your past is. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter the wrong behind you. If you can believe that he loved you enough that he was willing to die on the cross and his blood washes away your sins, that's the start. That's the first relationship we get straight. We're to be peacemakers, and we're to help people see that. Then the second thing we're to do is we're to, we're to be peacemakers and help people who have fractured relationships with one another. Maybe it's you and somebody, or maybe it's somebody that you know has this going on. That's the expectation, and it's part of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity when we do this. Paul confirms this expectation when teaching the church at Corinth. We're almost done. This is, this is popular. We use this here all the time. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14. I love this. Either way, Christ's love controls us. i got to ask you, church, does, love, does, does his love control you? I mean, you, you wrestle with that one right there. Now, it's just something I kind of tap into every now and again when I feel like it, when I need it. No, that's not what it says. Christ's love controls you. If Christ's love if Christ Christ's love controls you. You're going to take the other things he says pretty serious. You're going to be a peacemaker. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old self. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. That's kind of big. We can't live for ourselves. I mean, when I'm living for Michael, guess what? I, I, I'm not living for Jesus. 
Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know Him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. That's every single one of you. If you belong to Christ this morning, you are this new person. These are the expectations. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I want you to pay attention to verse 18. God has given us this task. Reconciling people to him. That's our task. He's saying, blessed are the peacemakers, because that's what peacemakers do. They make peace with people who are living in turmoil and conflict with God and with other people. And God's given you that task. He's given us this task. We can't ignore this. And we can't say, well, I just kind of live over here in a little holy bubble. All my friends are Christians. I mean, that's great. That's wonderful that everybody you know is a Christian. That tells me something. It tells me something personally. I need to be in different places because he's given me the task of reconciling people to him, of bringing peace to their life. Church, I've got to ask you, are you taking the task of being a peacemaker, of doing your part in the restoration of relationships with people who live in conflict with God. Seriously, are you doing this? And I know how the Western mind thinks. Well, how do I do it? Like, like give me the how, Michael. And you know I'm anti-how. All right? You, you know that most of the time I'm like, you know what? That's between you and God. Figure it out. He'll show you. You make it a matter of prayer. But I'm going to fill you in on something right here because it's right here in the next verse. Verse 19. How do I do it? Paul's like, he gave you the wonderful message of reconciliation. He gave you. You're going to walk out of here. You're, you're your own person. He gave you the message of reconciliation. What's the wonderful message of reconciliation? The message of reconciliation is your redeemed life. That's the message of reconciliation. The, me the, the, the message of reconciliation is you were a sinner with no hope in your own works and God loved you so much that he died on the cross. And because of your faith and belief in him, you now have the promise of eternity with him. That, that's true for every single one of you that believes. That's true for Gracie. 
Her life is the wonderful message of reconciliation. I'm different. I'm, I'm away from God. I'm apart from God because of sin that is there. But because of my faith and because of my obedience, she now has the wonderful message of reconciliation. You do too. Your debt has been paid, church. Your sentence has been served. You are victorious over the adversary because the work of Jesus, that is the wonderful message. So how? How do I take this task of reconciliation? Share your story. Tell other people. Tell other people what God's done in your life. That's it. Your story is good enough. Don't think that you've got to try to outdo and you've got to be something. You've got to be something you're not. Your story is all it takes. So who in your life? Who in your life needs the peace that Jesus offers? God, we love you and we thank you for bringing peace to this earth. We thank you, God, for the challenge of us being peacemakers. We, we know that Jesus made peace with the war. We know... We, we know that when he comes back, there's going to be war. And he's going to actually keep peace. It's our task now, Father, to make peace on your behalf. Thank you for giving us this task. I pray that we walk out of here as we strive to become like Jesus. God, we know people who are living in rebellion. We know people who are living in conflict. I pray that we take our role. being peacemakers, of helping bring reconciliation, restoring relationships, seriously, God. Lord, may we know our story. I, I pray that maybe it needs to start right there, God. Maybe the prayer needs to be, help each and every one of us to know how you brought peace to our life as you restored our broken relationship with you. Come back to God, Paul writes. May we take this seriously. Amen.